Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have a great treat for you. One of my favorite people is here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. She is a career coach. She has her own company, Nobility Consulting, K-N-O-W-B-I-L-I-T-Y, Nobility Consulting. You can find her on LinkedIn at Lori Knudsen, K-N-U-D-S-E-N. And it is my treat. One of the sweetest people I know is on the Intentional Encourager podcast with me today, Lori Knudsen. Lori, how are you today? I am fantastic. That was such a warm welcome and awesome introduction, but I'm, I'm honored. Well, you know, I, I try to do awesome introductions and warm introductions for people that I have a great affinity for, and you are one of those people, and I can't thank you enough for being with me today. Lori, when I think about your company, Nobility Consulting, I love the nobility part. Because knowing you like I do, you are very intentional, as I have been intentional about encouragement, you've been intentional about helping people discover what they want to know, be, and become, and how to help them grow into that person. What's been, the, what's been for you, and we're recording this in the midst of COVID-19, so I want to start here. What have you found out about yourself in the midst of these unusual times that you didn't know about yourself before? Oh, goodness. Uh, You know, I think it's just really going inward and reflecting on gratitude. Uh, I think gratitude, and I, you know, when I started practicing that years ago, it made a complete shift in my life. And having gratitude and knowing your purpose gives you faith to really move forward because no matter how bad things are, when you have gratitude, you have perspective. And there, there are some really bad things happening and every, probably every family is experiencing something you know, bad on a certain level. Uh, you know, we're not without you know, our, our scratches and bumps and bruises and some scars. So I think that that is the, the biggest thing for me is just really being aware of that and trying to maintain that, that mindfulness. And I don't, you know, hit it out of the park every day because I think we're, we're all human and mm-hmm. we all have our tendency sometimes to get down and, it's, it's just one of those things where that, that has been, you know, like my mainstay that I really do believe that what I'm doing and where I am is what I'm meant to do. And that's what keeps me going. Uh, 
and and just keeps you know gets me excited to get up in the morning i know that sounds cheesy but it really no. is i mean it, it, no you it, know it, as much time as we have not being able to go anywhere there's there's some days that i'm like i don't have time i want i want to do more stuff <laughs> no i i totally get it when you talk with people that you coach how often do you hear someone say Lori, I don't know what I'm meant to do. I don't know why I, I, I'm, I, I thought I wanted to go into sales or I thought I wanted to go into engineering or I thought I wanted to do this with my life, but it's not as fulfilling as I thought it would be. When you talk to those people, typically what's the first thing that you say to them to get them to start to understand who they really are and what they were ultimately designed to do? The first thing, I think just acknowledging that it, it's okay. I mean, I think having been there myself, it's, and especially now, a lot of people are reflecting and, and reaching out or saying, you know, I don't, even if I have a job to go back to, I didn't like it before you know, COVID-19. Now, I just don't really, you know, want to return to that, that hustle and bustle. And they're rethinking and reevaluating, you know, their priorities. And so I really talk about like, what's important to them, and what's frustrating them the most about the role that they've been in. And I think in every single role that as adults, we've held, there's good and bad. And so like really looking at what you enjoyed in each role, what you were doing, who you were with, because for some that'll be working with people in a collaborative environment, for others that might be working alone uh, in a very quiet environment. And so it's important to understand those aspects. So I just start with a conversation. Because I would think, and the reason I asked you that question is a lot of times, you know, as, as young people, we have a thought of, okay, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to do this and then I'm going to get out of college and I'm going to go do that. And a lot of kids change their major once they get into college because they get into the major and they're like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. This isn't really what I want to do. I want to do X. Or, you know, I've had some friends of mine <laughs> that, that got degrees. And I'm thinking about a guy I went to high school with. He got a degree in um, either engineering or plastics and then decided, went to work for a company in Lexington, and then decided about 10 years into his career, well, I really want to go into physical therapy. He, you know, he totally changed fields as an adult and said, well, I don't really want to do this. It's not satisfying anymore. I want to do that. When we look inwardly at ourselves, mm -hmm. a lot of times, when we think about career fulfillment and we think about what it takes to be fulfilled in our careers, what's the biggest thing sometimes we lack in finding that fulfillment? I think that we overlook our values and the values is the biggest disconnect because if you look at the executives that check all the boxes and they got the corner office and they've, you know, the house and the car and whatever was on their wish list and they're not happy because, you know, we have this conditional 
happiness that we attach. Like when I get this role, I'm going to be happy. When I can do this, I'm going to be happy. And happiness is something that we choose and we can't attach. It comes from within. And your values, if you're doing something that doesn't honor your values, you're never going to truly feel happy or fulfilled. And, you know, going back to the high school student, and you were talking about engineering, I mean, people go into engineering because it's like, oh, you're really good at math, you should be an engineer, or, oh, you're very analytical or something, you should be an engineer, or, oh, you, you should be in nursing because you're doing this, and we kind of throw people into buckets without really uh, discovering what they're best aligned with, you know, and it doesn't mean that they can't do those things. It's just that if it's really not a good fit, what ultimately happens is at some point during their career, they're going to hit that wall where they're going to be like, I'm just not really feeling happy in this career decision. It wasn't necessarily mine. Mm -hmm. Lori, when you think about your life in, in, in how you got from point A to point B. And I ask a lot of people because a lot of people have a straight path to where they started to where they are now. My path is a little more winding and crooked. Take me through your, your path from point A to point B. Um, I know you started in the medical um, device industry. Take me through that first, okay. <laughs> that first job I'll try to give you the cliff notes version. Yeah, go ahead. That's awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, the first job, the first real job after I changed my major uh, was working for a medical manufacturer, a small independent, uh, or I should say privately held medical manufacturer. And I was fortunate that I was able to wear many different hats. So I worked originally in the biomedical engineering department. We made, we manufactured and introduced the technology for the tympanic thermometer, the first temperature, you know, one to take the temperature in the ear. And it was really cool. And I got to learn all the technical aspects of the thermometer, as well as work with you know, our quality control department, our engineers, and then the people calling in as well as setting up training for those uh, biomedical engineers. And then shortly uh, within, I think, six to eight months, I was promoted and moved into the marketing and sales department. And that's where my career really took off because even if I wasn't directly involved, I was allowed to sit in and observe all of the different processes from choosing our advertising and working with our advertising uh, person and company and then you know the working with our distributors and the the c-suite executives and owners directly i was often their liaison from you know resolving issues to taking orders, <laughs> whatever it might be, uh, I got to, you know, do all that as well as running the shipping for all of our trade show booths. We, you know, for being a small company, we did about 50 trade shows per year. And so trying to navigate and get those worked out, um, it was, it was a lot of, uh, learning and, and, 
you know, mm-hmm. working for my, my boss was, he was just so smart and it was really inspiring to see that, you know, just the way he could write and his ideas and it was just, uh, it was a great, incredible experience that as a young person at the time, I took for granted. And, you know, like when you're young and cocky, you think, okay, yeah, I'm just so cool. And you don't really fully appreciate what an opportunity it was until much later when you don't, you know, get all of those opportunities Mm -hmm. to do those things. When you think about what you learned in, in, a, in a job that young, and, and, and I think back at times about the things that I learned, and I think to myself, okay, well, there were parts and pieces of each position in each role that I have that I still use today in what I do. When you think about that, and you say, okay, I was involved in marketing, I was involved in training, I was involved in sales, I was involved. I mean, you wore a lot of different hats. What was the one thing that stuck out, the biggest thing that you learned from that position early in your career that served you through the rest of your career? I think being able to adapt and really work with a lot of different people from like I said, from biomedical engineers and nurses, I might be working with them on the phone to executives. And then when I was in national accounts, when we're going out negotiating and then after securing the contracts, you know, making sure and reporting and doing follow-up, the common thread was always the interaction with the people. That's what I've always loved. And that doesn't go away. I think when you, when you learn, you know, how to do that, it, it's something that travels with you and, and having, having that experience. What is the biggest thing that you learned about? Cause you mentioned working with people and, and you mentioned having, you really liked that about the role that you did. What was the biggest lesson you learned in working with people that has helped you today in what you do working with people? Biggest lesson from that role or just any? (laughs) Well, I loved what you said there about, you know, I learned about working with different types of people. I had to work, you know, you said I had to work with nurses and, and, and people that had advanced degrees. A lot of people might find that mm-hmm. intimidating. I, I would find that somewhat intimidating because, you know, I would think, okay, these people are way smarter than I am. But I love what you said about working with different types of people, how that fueled something within you. When you think about what you did then and, and having that love of working with different types of people to what you do now, what was the biggest lesson that you learned then as a younger person that still carries with you in working with different types of people? Well, I think what I didn't understand then was that I, my personality and my strengths really allows me to adapt to where people are, you know, to build common ground with almost anyone. And then I'm able to, with individualization, I'm able to customize and tailor my interactions to meet their comfort level and 
that's, you know, like at the time I did it and I didn't really think about it. When you talk about being intimidated, yeah, I'm certainly more intimidated now. I think being younger, uh, I just was, I guess, ignorance is bliss. I just did it, you know, and it, <laughs> it worked out. Luckily, I didn't yeah. get fired or anything. And I think, too, because I had, I had the trust and confidence of my manager and my manager's manager. And so having that autonomy to, and, and trust to do my role and having that faith was, uh, I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, it was just uh, something that, you know, really stuck with me because you don't always have that. Um, I think carrying through and after I discovered my strengths, I have eight out of my top 15 strengths are relating strengths, which means I really should be working with people. I want to work with people. Yeah. Uh, I need to work with people because <laughs> there's, it's a really strong, uh, you know, part of my strengths and personality. And so it's really important to me and my values. It matters to me personally. You know, a lot of people say I want to make a difference. I really do. I want to have impact. And so it's important to me. And when I look at my number one strength, which is responsibility, which is so exciting. Some people get cool ones like woo and winning others over. But mm -hmm. anyways, I have responsibility. So, which well, means, you know, I do what I say. I do, you know, so I do the right thing. I do things with quality and I do what I say I'm going to do. And so I think when you put that together with people and making a difference, I mean, it, it really is something that I feel, you know, compelled to, to do a good job. There's a couple things that I want to go and take our conversation, and this is what I love about the the type of of podcast that that we're trying to accomplish is is having a real, genuine, authentic conversation with real, genuine, authentic people. So, a couple of things that you mentioned there that I want to hit on real quick. For me, I became more cautious when I became a parent, because now I've got, I'm thinking about, do I do something that maybe I would have taken more of a risk as a single person or maybe newly married, something like that. When I became a parent, when my son was born, I was like, I'm going to be more cautious about things than I was. Um, maybe when I was younger, I, I would have thrown caution to the wind a little bit. Is that something that you have seen in people that you've worked with that maybe the older they get, the more cautious they get about things, the more reflective they get, and maybe they go, well, I don't really want to be so much of a risk taker, or does, or does it not really matter? I'm, I'm, you know, I, I hope I asked that question correctly, Lori. No, I, I, th I think so. It's, you know, I've never been a risk taker. And so for me to start my own business, I, I call myself the reluctant entrepreneur because risk is not high on the list for my entrepreneurial skills, but it became the avenue for me to fulfill 
what I love to do, which is training, coaching, and mentoring. And I think for a lot of people, especially when you have kids and you have a mortgage and you have these bills and responsibilities, people feel stuck and they're like, okay, you know, this is all I've done. I don't, you know, it's been too long. I can't switch or do anything else, but they're miserable. And my answer to that is, how do you know if you don't try? I'm not one of these people that, you know, will say, quit your job today if you're miserable and, you know, get out there. It'll be fine. No, no, don't quit your job. I mean, if you have a job and you're fortunate, just keep it yeah. and make a plan because, you know, when you find out and you explore and, and sometimes people might discover they're, they're in the right role or in the, I should say like the right career path, but maybe the wrong company. Sometimes they're in the right company and there's other opportunities that they can move into. And so, you know, I've seen this happen where people are like, yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I kind of, you know, I knew I wasn't happy, but I didn't really know why. And then when they looked at their motivating skills versus their burnout skills, understood their values, they're like, none of these things are in sync. And, uh, but I think the biggest, the biggest thing that people that I talk to, especially when they're older and I'm like, look, I mean, I like to say I started when I was three, so that wouldn't make me my, the age that I am, <laughs> but you know, yeah. like, I, I, you know, changed, I changed careers very late in life for, you know, what's considered late for most people. And I, I think like now the gig economy, it's not easy, but it's going to become probably more of the norm. And so there are opportunities and, and uh, I think that more people probably will explore other avenues or hopefully they will explore other avenues because if anything, I don't think our jobs and they haven't been secure for quite some time, you know, but some people have worked for organizations where even if things weren't great, they just didn't lay off. And now mm -hmm. they see how things can just change. And, you know, we've never been through anything like this. So I think, you know, looking at exploring other things, or I tell people, I worked with one person, this woman, and she knew she had had her corporate career, but she knew she wanted to really work in something that was important to her and work in nonprofit. But she was like five years away from retiring. And I was like, this is the perfect time to start. Build your network, build those connections so that they see you in the role. I mean, you're, you're going to be like a, you know, a shoe in it at that point. It's just that we typically, and I was, when I say typically, I mean me too, because I was like the poster child for what not to do. You get downsized and then you're like a deer in headlights mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, you know, I've got to go update my LinkedIn profile and, yep. oh, I got to apply for jobs. Oh, let me see who I know. And then it's like, hey, I don't really know you really well, but um, I'm applying for this job. And they, you know, nobody's going to recommend you. I mean, they might, if they get like a referral, they might, you know, pass your resume along, but you really have to be building that network. And it, it is a lot of work there. There is no way around it. 
I mean, people are like, oh, you mean I got to do all this? And I'm like, yes. Well, that's the power of relationships because, you know, you want to be intentional about people you connect with because to a, to a degree, Lori, it's guilt by association. You know, the, the old, um, you know, if, if you got in trouble, if a group, you know, when, when you're younger, if, if you, you know, if one person did the crime and there were several of you around it, well, you were guilty by association. Mm-hmm. And I think who you associate with too helps you grow to that person that you want to become because there may be somebody in your network that may not help you be able to get a job in a certain company or this or that, but they can really be so key to help you advance in your career. And there's a difference between getting a job and advancing in your career and growing your network relationally instead of transactionally can be so key to helping you get to where you want to get to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think most people miss the point. And like I said, again, poster child here, I, I connected with people just within my industry and nobody outside of it when I worked in that industry. And it, that's not necessarily how you get a job or a referral. I mean, it might be from like someone else that works for a bank or an insurance and it's like, Oh, my neighbor works for this company Mm -hmm. that's hiring that's in your industry. And they intro you. I mean, referrals, only about 7% of applicants are from referrals, but 40, they make up 40 to 80%. I know that's a big range, but I can't remember the exact uh, quote that was, uh, you know, the, 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 of the hires, you know, come up to the, you know, come from that. So it's like there, it is valuable anytime you can get that referral, uh, unless it's just like the family friend or somebody doing you a favor, but cause you still have to be a solid candidate. Uh, it, you're not like a shoe in, but there, there are ways. And once you get that, uh, you know, entry point, then it's up to you to, to shine. And, uh, that, that's where, you know, you step up and tell them what you got and why you're the, the best candidate for the, the role, but better yet show them through your experiences. Well, and I've always said to people too, you never know where you're going to go. You just never know where you're going to go because oftentimes in my career, I have t- I, things just came out of the blue for me. Um, But I want to transition real quick, Lori, to you talking about starting your business. What was the biggest obstacle that you faced in in you? Because you called yourself the reluctant entrepreneur. What was the biggest obstacle you faced when you made that decision to go ahead and start your business? Me. I was my biggest obstacle. My, My mindset. I... I was ready to go. I, you know, went out and got certifications, which not everybody has to have certifications. There are some coaches that are very good, but it was important to me because I come from a background where I like evidence. I like the research and I like to have a really solid foundation to understand 
why I'm doing something and having a process that I believe in is important. So I have several certifications, but in, a, in addition to that, had read and read and then just agonized about it. And so I think often we are our worst enemies because we, we doubt ourselves. You know, some people call it imposter syndrome. And it's interesting. I read a study that actually talked about, uh, I think it was professors from Cornell that did this study, and it was called the Dunning-Kruger effect, where like you kind of have this peak that when you first start out with something, they call it like the, the peak of stupidity, because you don't really know what you don't know, like you mm. think you know, and things look so simple. And then when you you plummet into the the valley of despair when you realize that there's still so much that you don't know. And then once you realize, okay, it's okay, you know, I still am all right. Then you you kind of go back out of that. And it, it's it's interesting because I think that we most people that are, you know, try to be humble or you know that are always learning are are going to to follow that pattern because while we're confident in what we know, we realize that there is always something to learn. So it's easy to second guess yourself mm-hmm. and, and question like, who am I to do this? But I had a friend like, you know, call me out on it. He's like, well, he's like, are you an imposter? I mean, like, can you do this or can you not? And I'm like, yes, I can do this. It's like, well, then, you know, you just have to take imperfect action and, and, and just do it um, because you're, you know, you know your stuff. It, it will just, mm-hmm. you know, it'll come through. And um, I've just, you know, made a lot of mistakes with marketing and, you know, social media and learning. But, but while I would have liked it to have, come together sooner mm-hmm. it's it's also been a really uh, good process because I have learned so much it's like when I reflect back and like the days I'm getting mad because something's not working right in a video or I'm trying to learn and do this one thing and I was like oh and then I'm like oh my gosh I didn't even know how to do a zoom call like is there a year and a half ago I mean I did yep. webinars with my work yep. and everything but setting them up, doing them, and all, all this other stuff, editing videos, working in Canva. Yeah, it, it's just like, I'm just, it, it, so I just, uh, see, I can't even, I'm, I'm speechless. But no, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just like, we, sometimes we, we always think of like how far we like, you know, we concentrate on like, oh, but we're not where we want to be rather than just taking stock of where we are and, and appreciating the moment and Mm -hmm. I and I'm trying to do more of that and and appreciate where I am rather than where I was and where I want to be which is hard because you know when we want to be somewhere and we're not it's human nature to just be like ah you know why can't it come faster and I think things come to us when we're ready and to receive them and I'm ready, so hopefully they're coming soon. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Lori, 
I want you to leave the the audience today with your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. What you said the last few minutes has been so good. Maybe somebody is out there and they're saying, I want to start my own business, but I want to do this, but what's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement for them? Well, it's hard to tra- uh, top David Massovers. That was uh, so eloquent, but I... Uh... My my go to because this this is something that I go to on a daily basis and it's a quote by Henry Ford and it's whether you think you can or you can't you're right so if you think you can't do something that's exactly right and you just have to really believe you can and if you don't know how to get there uh, you know reach out to you know, a mentor or a coach or, or someone and see what's possible. And, and I mean, that applies to, to everyone in our life. There's so many things that uh, we're capable of that we have so much untapped potential that I just want to encourage everyone to, to tap into it, to learn something new. Lori Knudsen, you are the absolute best. Thank you so much. You're a dear friend, and and I I can't thank you enough for being on with me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. You can go to Nobility Consulting, K-N-O-W-B-I-L-I-T-Y, consulting.com. Find her on LinkedIn, Lori Knudsen, K-N-U-W. D-S-E-N, and Lori is L-O-R-I. Lori, thank you from the bottom of my heart. This was fun. This was great. Thank you so much for being on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I, I just enjoy speaking with you, and it's been great. Thank you, Lori. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Meads. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place can be an intentional.